Exodus chapter 20, verses 22 through 26. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Father God, we come to you tonight and I pray, dear Lord, that you just fill my mind uh, with all the things of, of these verses. Just let the Spirit speak through me tonight. Let me be able to present what we need to hear, dear Lord. Let your word uh, be a reminder of things maybe that we've forgotten. Uh, point us to things, dear Lord, that we need to be pointed pointed to, dear Lord, that it would encourage us. Whatever we need, dear Lord, tonight, you, you know our heart, God. Let the Holy Spirit use these words to speak to us in the way that we need to hear it. And I pray that you would help me just to preach and teach effectively tonight. I pray that you would just hide me behind the cross, dear Lord, that you would humble me, that you would do the work tonight so that Jesus Christ is glorified through these words. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. 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 Exodus 20, verse 22. Then the Lord told Moses, This is what you are to say to the Israelites. You have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You must not make gods of silver to rival me. You must not make gods of gold for yourselves. You must make an earthen altar for me and sacrifice on it. Your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Your sheep and goats as well as your cattle. I will come to you and bless you in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. If you make a stone altar for me, you must not build it out of cut stones. If you use your chisel on it, you will defile it. You must not go up to my altar on steps so that your nakedness is not exposed on it. Now, in the first part of this chapter, uh, it's, it's pretty famous, pretty well known, because it's when God speaks the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. We see that at the beginning of the chapter, and we kind of see their response to what took place in the verses before this. They are, they are, are fearful of the Lord. They say, Moses, you intercede for us. You talk to God on our behalf. But don't let us be uh, directly with God because they were standing before the almighty, all-powerful God, creator of the heavens and earth, and it was a, a very powerful experience. And after God had given them the Ten Commandments, and after their response is recorded here, God speaks to Moses and he says, okay, here's what you need to do now. And God uh, proceeded on to give Moses a lot of, of other laws that the Israelites were to follow. Now you can, you can see that in some of these other books, Leviticus and uh, Numbers and and, and things like that, Deuteronomy, you can kind of see these uh, different laws and different things that God commanded them all through these early books of the Bible. Uh, we'll see some of these things in the next chapters as we, as we proceed on. Uh, but God is speaking to Moses and he's uh, telling him some instructions on what the Israelites are to do. And God uh, reinforces what he had already commanded them in the commandments. And that is that they didn't need to worship any other gods. They didn't need to make any idols out of any, any, any man-made thing. Now, there were many people of, of, of that day, in particular probably the Egyptians, whom the Israelites had been, had been delivered from, who worshipped many gods and probably had many different idols. Uh, there would be some form, some image that they would have formed with their hand made out of some earthly material, whether it was silver or gold or wood or stone or whatever idols of the day might have been made out of. And these were idols, these were things that people would bow to. They were something that they would look at, something that they would pray to uh, for whatever the need may be. But in the case of the Israelites, the God of the Israelites, the one and only true God, Yahweh, God said, don't make any images of me. Don't make any idols of me. 
Now, God hadn't revealed Himself to the Israelites in any kind of image, in any kind of form. Perhaps that was intentional. Because we as human beings, sometimes we may have a tendency to to want to have something that we can touch and see. And we may have a tendency to get carried away by worshiping some man-made object that we have. Perhaps that's why God gave this instruction is because He knows that we would be tempted to worship something we can see and we can touch. After all, we see that with the very Israelites upon Moses taking too long to come back down the mountain as we will see in a few chapters. They melted all of their gold down and made a golden calf. There was something that they wanted to see, something that they wanted to touch because as human beings, we like to see and touch things. But when we talk about God, God is not something that we see. God is not something that we can touch. God is not tangible in that sense, but we know God is there. You see, the idols that were made by human hands, the idols that uh, all of the other people that that Israel would encounter as they were heading to the promised lands and the ones that they had encountered while they were in Egypt, they were (coughs) idols and they were false gods that could do nothing for the people. Even though they could see them, even though they could touch them, they did not exist. They did not, they did not do anything for the people. No matter how much they called out or prayed to them, there was no results that took place. You may uh, read in 1 Kings chapter 18, I think it is, uh, where Elijah is up against the prophets of Baal and they cry out to their God all night long or all day long. I'm not sure what time of day it was, but either way, they call out to him for that extended period of time. And he never answers. And that's what the idols are like. They're a God, they're a handmade, human-made God that cannot answer. God didn't reveal himself to the people in a form that they could could relate to, that they could recognize. Instead, God revealed himself to the people through his power. He wasn't just the God who you would look at a stone carving of or some kind of statue of and say, I'm going to pray to this God and and, and pray that He can do this and never see results. Because that's what the other false gods were. They were false gods, false idols that were continually prayed to, but there were no results. So God didn't reveal Himself to the people in some way, shape, or form. Instead, God had revealed Himself to His people through His power, through His deliverance, the mighty acts that He had done. He was not just a God you could look at. He was not just a God you could talk about. He was not just a God that you could say, Oh, I hope this God does this. But He was a God that you could look at and say, This God, the only God, Yahweh, has done this. He has acted. He's not a God that we call to and wonder, Can He do this? Can He deliver us? Can He spare us? Can He save us? He was a God who had shown them with their own eyes that He could spare them, that He could save them, that He could deliver them. And so we need to remember that we come here tonight to worship and serve the same God. We don't ever want to fall into the trap of worshiping some man-made idol that that is made by human hands that doesn't have ears to hear or eyes to see and can't respond to us or can't do anything. No, we serve a God who we may not have seen with our own eyes, but who is in heaven and who has the power to do anything and everything. And we see that in the... Uh, Israelites and what's going on here and we see that all throughout the rest of the Bible and God is reminding the people here this was a big deal to not have any gods before God to not make any idols why because as the Israelites are going to be going into the promised land if you may remember when we talk about uh, when we went through Joshua a few months back they encountered many people along the way 
And they worshipped false gods. They did things that were very ungodly. And so God knew that that temptation was going to be there. He warned Solomon when Solomon was about to be king to be on guard with all these other women that he was around. Why? Because God said that they would lead him away from God. And lo and behold, Solomon in all of his wisdom was led away to worship other gods. So this was a a very big deal. And God was reinforcing and repeating this, I think, for a reason. Because he knew that the Israelites were going to experience this. And he knew it was going to be difficult. Because we like to see instant results, as we talked about this morning. We want to see a God that comes down, uh, that we can see and know exactly what He looks like and how He works and know how everything's going to be. But we don't always have that. We don't see God coming down in the flesh. And so God was reminding the people, hey, don't forget about what, what has already taken place. The Israelites should have remembered how God had delivered them in His power and what He had done. And even though they haven't seen Him, they have seen Him in a sense because they've seen how He's delivered them and what He has done for them. He goes on to say in verse 24, You must make an earthen altar for me and sacrifice on it, your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats as well as your cattle. I will come to you and bless you in every place where I cause my name where where I cause my name to be remembered. Now God is telling them something else to do. They are to make an altar to the Lord, which sacrifices can be made upon. But he tells them in the verses uh, uh, following that they don't need to to carve this stone. It doesn't need to be something big and beautiful and elaborate. It needs to just be kind of plain and simple. And I think that that's a good reminder of how God works, that we don't get too caught up, because we do as human beings. We can very easily get so caught up in in, in making things just so and, and making an altar just so and carving the stones just right that we may forget about the God that we are making the altar to worship and begin to focus more on the altar. And so we as human beings sometimes, I think, can get off track, even as Christians. And perhaps God knew that. Look, don't pay attention to any of the details. Just just keep this thing simple. Don't cut the rocks and make it this way and make an altar. But more importantly than the altar was what was going to take place on the altar. The sacrifices that were going to take place. Now we've seen some sacrifices up until uh, this point in Scripture. And, and God is about to... Uh, show them and tell them what the law is going to require and how sacrifices are going to be required and what these sacrifices are going to be for, certain situations or certain things that are going on. And most importantly of the sacrifices was that sacrifice for the atonement of their sins. And he mentions two of these sacrifices right here. One is uh, sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your fellowship offerings or your peace offerings. Now we see these different types of offerings as you read through the next few books of the Bible, you will see these different types of offerings that are mentioned. If you want to turn to Leviticus, you can. We're going to talk a little bit about the burnt offerings and about the peace offerings. If you want to turn to Leviticus chapter 1, Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. You can read some more of this when you get home later or sometime this week if you want to. We'll cover just a little bit of the beginning just to get an idea 
uh, but it's talking about burnt offerings here. In Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, Then the Lord summoned Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord from the livestock, you may bring your offering from the herd or the flock. If his gift is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to bring an unblemished male. He must bring it to the entrance to the tent of meeting so that he may be accepted by the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering so it can be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. Now that's the key word that we're looking for there. What was the purpose of the burnt offering? It was for atonement for the people to atone for their sinfulness. Now we see this word atonement in the New Testament. That, that, that should get our brains to working because who do we think about when we think about atonement in the New Testament? Well, we should think about Jesus Christ. This, this, this idea, this, this requirement uh, that God is putting on the people of having an offering that is going to atone for their sins is pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. It's pointing us forward to the one who is going to die on the cross for us, whose blood is going to be shed just as the animals' bloods were uh, was in the Old Testament. And Jesus Christ atones for our sin. He makes payments for our sins. He forgives us for our sin of our sins uh, through the sacrifice that He made on the cross for us. Now we see that God requires this, that blood must be shed for the forgiveness of sins. We see that throughout the Old Testament, repeated many times throughout the law, and very specifically as to how these burnt offerings are to be presented, what is to be used as a burnt offering, and what, what is it if you can't afford this, what is to be used as a burnt offering, if you're poor and you can't afford this to be sacrificed. And so God spells this out in great detail for us as we look through these first few books of the Old Testament. And so when we see this idea of atonement, it was required even back then. The people had to be atoned. They had to have some way that which their sins could be covered. And it was through the shedding of blood. Fast forward all the way to the life of Jesus Christ. And he is fulfilling what God required way back then. Because the blood of goats and bulls and cows and all those things would never be good enough to cover our sinfulness for all of eternity. That's why Hebrews talks about it in great detail. I know I say that all the time, but Hebrews is a good book, and you should really read it because it does a great job of really explaining to us how Jesus fulfills what needs to be fulfilled, how Jesus does what the old law could never do, and how Jesus does it perfectly. And speaking of such, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 9, 13. This is just one of a few verses you could find in Hebrews to make the point, but, but I think this will help us to see what's, what's going on. We talk about atonement in the Old Testament and seeing how Jesus Christ has fulfilled that in the New Testament in a much better way, in a more perfect way. Hebrews 9, verses 13 and 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciousness from dead works to, the, to serve the living God. 
If the, if the blood of the animals that were sacrificed in the Old Testament were good enough to atone for the people for a little while, how much more so is the blood of the very Son of God, the Messiah, who gave His life on the cross? It is a perfect sacrifice. It is perfect atonement. It's the atonement that God always desired but that can never be acquired by the sacrifice of, of all the, the animals in the Old Testament. And Jesus Christ fulfilled everything that was to be Fulfilled. And so when we see this language of, of offerings, of burnt offerings for the atonement of sins uh, in the Old Testament, uh, it should point us forward to Jesus Christ. It should point us forward to what He did on the cross. And it should cause us to say, Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on my behalf, for giving your life for me so that I could be forgiven, so that we don't have to go through all of this stuff. If you read through these first few uh, books of the Bible and you see what they had to, to go through and how often these burnt offerings had to be made by the priests continually, year after year, day after day, month after month, these offerings had to be made for the people. Can you imagine if we still had to do that today? But praise the Lord through Jesus Christ, we don't. Because He has fulfilled everything that God desired and required from the get-go. He has fulfilled it perfectly. So that's the one offering that we see here in uh, Exodus chapter 20, and that is the burnt offering. It also mentions a fellowship offering, or in some translations, a peace offering. Now, when we think about a peace offering, maybe we have a, a wrong idea or an opposite idea of, of what a peace offering actually was in, in the Old Testament. Uh, when we think of a peace offering, for instance, maybe uh, you are a man and you've gone and you've done something boneheaded. Now, this is theoretical. This is hypothetical because I know that men don't do anything boneheaded. But say you do something you're not supposed to do, or you forget your wife's anniversary, or you say something that makes her mad, or she told you to do something and you didn't do it, and all of a sudden she gets home and you are in hot water. Well, the next day, it may not be terribly uncommon for the man to make a call to the florist and get some flowers sent. After all, there's some tension there, making a little bit of a peace offering. We do something bad to someone. We feel guilty, and we want to get back on their good side so we may do something nice for them or take them something as a peace offering to get the peace back. Now, that's kind of what we think of, or at least I think of, when I think of a peace offering in our culture. But in Scripture, a peace offering or a fellowship offering uh, was, was just the opposite of that. It wasn't something, an offering that was given uh, to make peace with God, to say, oh God, I've sinned against you, let me, let me do this for you to get peace uh, with you. But instead, it was an offering given because of something God had done, because it was a praise of God, or because someone had fulfilled a vow. It was, it was more of, 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 of giving God this peace offering, this fellowship offering, because of how wonderful God is and what God did uh, for them and does for us. Uh, as a way to show God and praise God and tell God and let God know that we love Him and uh, worship Him a little bit. And that's probably, men, a better method for us for our women. We should be showering our wives with gifts because we love them, because they wash our clothes and they make our food. We shouldn't send them flowers. Just as I see a lot of women looking and a lot of heads shaking. Uh, we shouldn't be doing those things just because we've messed up. We should do those things out of Love, And I think that that's a little closer to what we see a uh, fellowship offering being. 
If you want to turn back to Leviticus, now Leviticus chapter 7 tells us a little more about a fellowship or peace offering. Leviticus chapter 7. Verse 11. Leviticus 7, verse 11. Through verse 21, this gives us kind of a good example or or an idea. It tells us us exactly what the fellowship offering or peace offering or fellowship sacrifice is. Leviticus 7, 11. Now this is the law of the fellowship sacrifice that someone uh, may present to the Lord. If he presents it for thanksgiving, in addition to the thanksgiving sacrifice, he is to present unleavened cakes mixed with olive oil, unleavened wafers coated with oil, and well-kneaded cakes of fine flour mixed with oil. He is to present as his offering cakes of leavened bread with his thanksgiving sacrifice of fellowship. From the cakes he must present one portion of each offering as a contribution to the Lord. It will belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the fellowship offering. It is his. The meat of his thanksgiving sacrifice of fellowship must be eaten on the day he offers it. He may not leave any of it until morning. If the sacrifice he offers is a vow or a free will offering, it is to be eaten on the day he presents the sacrifice, and what is left over may be eaten on the next day. Now, we won't get into all the details of the of the, the unliving and things that talk about there, but what we do see in those verses is it's kind of a definition of what the, the, the sacrifice looks like, the fellowship sacrifice. There are three words that are talked about there, and that is thanksgiving uh, or, or a vow or a free will, something of free will. Uh, these are the occasions and the opportunities in which people would give the fellowship offering. One good example of that that we see in Scripture uh, is uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 21 through 28. Uh, Hannah had wanted a child, and God had blessed her with a child. And as a result of that, Hannah went and presented a fellowship offering, a peace offering, because God had granted her a child. Not only that, but she also dedicated her child to the Lord. Obviously, uh, well, maybe not obviously, but if you go back and you read 1 Samuel, you will see uh, that God used Samuel in a mighty way. If you read 1st, 2nd Samuel and see how Samuel and David, uh, their lives uh, were, 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 were working together, God was using them, uh, we see that this son that Hannah dedicated to the Lord was used in a mighty way. That's not neither here nor there, but, but as a result of God blessing her, she gave God a fellowship offering, a peace offering, this fellowship sacrifice. And so we see these different sacrifices all throughout the Old Testament. We see these things uh, played out. And when we see these things, these are, are, are things that we need to do too. You know, do we need to go get a bull and kill it for the Lord? Well, not not, I don't think so. We don't need to do that. But, but the idea of praising God and giving Him thanks and going to Him and letting Him know, look, I praise you, God. I thank you for what you've done for me, for blessing me, for delivering me, for helping me, for answering my prayer, uh, prayers, to sing praises to the Lord, to reach out to the Lord, to worship the Lord. Those are things as Christians we should be doing. Praise the Lord. We don't have to come to it with the sacrifice of an animal because Jesus has atoned for everything. He has made that sacrifice in every way. 
All these offerings that were required that we see, uh, Jesus has fulfilled. As a result, though, we should still praise God uh, just the same. One other thing that we see with, with, with offerings in the Old Testament, if you want to flip back to Leviticus, you can. Leviticus chapter 7, verse 8. We see one little thing there, and, and perhaps I'm reading too much into this, but I can't help but think even this little detail helps point us toward Jesus Christ. In Leviticus chapter 7, verse 8, it says this. Well, let's start verse 7. The restitution offering is like the sin offering. The law is the same for both. It belongs to the priest who makes atonement with it. As for the priest who presents someone's burnt offering, the hide of the burnt offering he has presented belongs to him. It is the priest. And so the burnt offering would be made, and that was the one that was going to atone for the people's sins. But the one who was sacrificing the burnt offering, that is the priest, he was to uh, keep the, uh, I'm drawing a blank, uh, the skin, the hide, there you go. Uh, he was to keep the hide of the animal that had been sacrificed. And I couldn't help but think about Jesus Christ on the cross. As he was the atonement for our sin, as he was being sacrificed, as he was stripped down and his outer garment was being uh, gambled for as he was giving his life on a cross. And the one who was being atoned, the ones who were, uh, or the one who was giving his life for atonement for our sins, the one who was being sacrificed, uh, the ones who were sacrificed in him had his outer garments. Now perhaps that's not the same as the hide here, but, but in my mind there's a connection to be made there. Perhaps even the people of Jesus' day who were watching him being sacrificed, perhaps this very law that was given, uh, the things that God commanded them, God was calling back to their minds as they saw Jesus who was the atonement for our sins. Now, God will go on to give Moses lots of different laws and instructions for the people as we will see over the weeks to come. But when we read these things and they point us to Jesus Christ, let us praise the Lord that Jesus Christ has fulfilled these things for us, that we no longer have to do these things that the Israelites were commanded to do, at least in the sense of these burnt offerings and things that we see uh, listed in great detail. Praise the Lord that we don't have to do these things because Jesus has done everything for us. He has accomplished and completed and atoned for your sins. If you haven't accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, you need to accept Him so that your sins can be atoned for. Because there's nothing else that can atone for them. There's no other blood that can be shed other than the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we come to you tonight and we thank you for these words. We thank you for uh, reminding us that we don't want to, uh, need to, uh, and should not ever worship any kind of idol, dear Lord. That we would never be guilty of, of worshiping something made by human hands, dear Lord. Idols can't do anything for us, God, but we see your power. We see it in your word, and God, perhaps many, if not all of us, have experienced it in our life, God. We don't see you in the flesh, but we see how you work, dear Lord. We see how you answer prayers. We see how you heal. We see how you deliver us. We see how you strengthen us, dear Lord. We know that you are not a God that doesn't hear and doesn't respond and doesn't do. But God, we know that you are a God that is, that is all-powerful and almighty, and you hear our requests, and you often answer them, dear Lord. Maybe not always in the way that we want, but you answer us, God. And we thank you for being a God who hears and being a God who cares. And God, for sending your very Son to be the atonement for our sins. 
when we could never live up to what you require, God, when we are hopeless and helpless sinners, God, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on a cross for us, and we thank him for that sacrifice that was made for us so that we can be atoned. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.